you don't know me, I'm Michelle, and I'm our Family Ministries pastor here at North Langley. And I get the privilege of working with our team, um, our children's team, with our amazing small group leaders and with families to connect families and children to Jesus. And that is what we are about. And it is so much fun. I just want you to know that I, I really believe that God has given me a joy for kids and for families. I remember so many times being in um, services, visiting churches in the summer and seeing the children's pastor come up and they're like on stage just begging for small group leaders and being like, oh my goodness, I will never be a children's pastor. It's so embarrassing. They're always asking for help. And last summer, Janet Teeson, one of our pastors here, asked me if I would consider taking on this role. And I have been met with so much passion for children. And that's how I know it's from God because I've seen his, his joy for families and children in the next generation just fill me. And I'm convinced that it's not a personality thing. I'm convinced that the, the joy that the Lord has for children, the blessing of children and for families is from him and that he wants to share that joy with our church family. I know that children are a blessing from God because we couldn't have them, have children unless God helped make it happen. And so he wants to bless our families and our parents and our church um, with the next generation. And there are children in this room, I'm telling you, that they need a mentor. They need another person to say, I love you too, and I'm for you. And there are families in this church that need a village, and they, they don't know how to ask for help. And it's our job as the church to have a joy for children like God does. Um, if you walked in, we have a poster of, of Jesus saying, the kingdom belongs to children such as these. Let them come to me. Jesus had a joy for them, and we need to disciple the next generation. So I'm saying all of that with joy and passion. We, we would love for you to consider to be on our team, to disciple the next generation, serving with us as, as, as mentors to children. And if you have been touched by this thought of God filling you, using you to disciple and mentor a child, please chat with Carrie or Carly um, in, this, in the foyer after the service. Okay, so we are going to jump into God's word. We have our kids here today. Welcome, kids. And um, our word comes from Luke 11, verses 1 to 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them or your apps, open that up, and we will read from God's word. Starting in verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, we say thank you, God. Corey quoted um, some lines from A.W. Tozer, and I'm going to do the same. He has a, a quote that says, what, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. 
I used to think that if I was face to, God, face, to face with God, that he wouldn't like me very much. I remember um, from a moment in, in seventh grade that I've struggled with vulnerability and kind of assumed that there's a judgment, that I need to earn my, my worth. And um, I, I listened to a podcast a few weeks ago and they said, maybe deep down inside of us, there's this seventh grade kid all inside of us, the pimples and the giggles and all the hurt. And it's true for me. I was waiting for the bus, and a boy named Mark, he kind of gave me the up-down, and he called me a fatty. I will never forget how I felt. He just walked away, like it didn't mean anything, but I will never forget how that felt, the judgment and the hurt. And that statement has um, walked with me for days and days and years uh, and impacted how I see myself and how I perceive other people see me. And it's kept me from being open and honest with other people. It's kept me from being maybe open and honest with God. I was reflecting on that this, this week and realizing that I used to think that maybe God wouldn't like me, but maybe it was because I was afraid that that if I came to him and showed him everything that I was, that maybe he wouldn't accept me. And for you, how do you picture God? Is he aware of you? Does he know your needs? Is he near? Is he far? Is he holding the weight of the world like you do? Is he involved? in the pain of the world, or is he impartial? Well, today we are coming to Jesus and asking him to teach us to pray. And today we're gonna, we're gonna learn to pray like Jesus does. And we're gonna see that those that come to the Father have the ability to connect with his life-changing power. So Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, we, we come to you in your word and we thank you that we can come and see you for who you are. And we pray that as we look at your word that we would reorient how we, how we come to you, how we think about you, and that in turn we would see how you see us and how you want to change us by your power. Amen. Well, the disciples, they're asking Jesus to teach them to pray. And the reason that they ask is that, you know, as Jews, they would have had a lot of prayers that they prayed together as a community that bound them together. Um, the one of them would have been the 18 benedictions, which would have had like 18, you know, prayers that they would give to God they would be beautiful prayers, lengthy and just attribute praise and worth to God. And the disciples are also referencing, um, just as John taught his disciples, so John the Baptist, he had a group of followers as well, and, and they would have had a prayer that set their community apart and made them a distinct group and gave them a common, a common prayer, a common focus. And so the disciples are asking for this too. 
and we, they wanted common language. And so, I mean, that's something that we all like as well. I, it's, it's simple. I mean, you see in, uh, on, even on Instagram and TikTok, there are like the same song over and over again with different dances and it's like this like common language. People are using the same song and dancing a new jig and it's, it, like, it's cool, it brings people together. Even with music, I mean, if I was to sing like, Sweet Caroline, bum, 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 good times never seem so good. So, so good, come on. So good, so good, I've been inclined. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, those are fun things. It's, it brings us together. We're, we, we love to have common language and say, oh, you, you know that, so do I. Like, when, when that happened, wasn't that so awesome? And, you know, the disciples are asking for a common language as well. And Jesus, he responds and he gives this to them. And so he, he's giving this to all of them. I mean, the disciples, they, they would have seen some amazing things that Jesus did. And they not only wanted a common language, but they wanted what Jesus had with the Father. The Gospel of Luke, it portrays Jesus as the Son of Man. Different Gospels might shed Jesus in a different light, you know, being like the royal king or like Son of God, but Luke specifically looks at Jesus as the Son of Man. It, it reveals his humanity. It traces his roots back to Adam. And as a man dwelling on earth, Jesus had the great need to pray to the Father. And the disciples saw amazing things happen. You know, at Jesus' baptism, when he, he was praying, a voice opened, like heaven opened, and a voice, uh, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, you are my son, Jesus, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. When demands of life came up, it drew Jesus to prayer. On the mountainside, he spent the night praying to God. He would often go away to lonely places to pray and to meet with the Lord and to receive wisdom and guidance and, and communion with God. Peter, James, and John were three of Jesus' followers, and they would have gone up the mountain with, with Jesus, and we, we heard about this a few months ago in the Transfiguration, where Jesus, he's met with God, and the glory of God is upon him. And again, the disciples, Peter, James, and John, they see um, the voice of God coming down and saying, this is my son, whom I've chosen, listen to him. The disciples would have witnessed Jesus praying for people in groups, for healing, for freedom, freedom from the demonic. They would have seen him praying in crowds and alone, away, simply and in depth. And his prayers declared who God was. And he trusted in the Father's way. And so the disciples asked, teach us to pray, God. The fun thing about this is, um, you know, they ask him and Jesus, he doesn't just pray to one person. He doesn't just pray to you. He is, he's using the plural of y'all. So we can be a little Southern today. We can say that Jesus said, when y'all pray, say, Father. He's saying it to all y'all. We are asked to pray together as a community. So what is he teaching us? This text has one address, one address to God, two statements about God, and three requests that we might have for God. And so when y'all pray, we can address God as Father. 
very simply. There is a story in the Old Testament in 1 Kings where there are people that are praying to a false god and they're trying to summon something from him. We can read about their, their interchange here in 1 Kings 18. They called on the name of Baal, who was a false god, from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah, who was a, a prophet of God, he began to taunt them. He said, shout louder. He said, surely he's a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom Ugh, until their blood flowed. Gross. And midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered, no one paid attention. We shouldn't assume this about God. And Jesus teaches that simply calling out to God as Father suffices. So simple. You might not want to hear my birth story. I want to share it. So I have a two-year-old, Willis, and he was 10 days overdue, and um, I had to be induced. So if any of you know about induction, when things actually start rolling, then they can happen like really fast. So I wasn't able to have any pain management, and things were progressing really quickly. There was a moment where, um, in delivery, where more doctors were coming into the room, and more nurses, and like it was getting like really tense, and kind of scary, you know? I look over at Spencer, my husband, and I was like, Spence, I need you to pray. And he was overwhelmed too, like, he's seeing me go through things that he never has before, he's gonna become a dad, like, it's intense. And he just, like, is very, like, calm and, like, Lord, God, would you please be with Michelle? I'm like, this is not enough for me. I take over, I said, Lord, God, help me! <laughs> and, yeah, shut Spencer right up. And um, <laughs> I knew what I needed. I knew what I needed from the Father, and I could come to him, and I could ask. And Willis was born... And uh, the Lord definitely responded. He was my help in my time of trouble. The story to that is that we can simply come to the Father and He will hear us, quiet or loud. At any point, He will hear our needs. And Jesus teaches us to do this. He's a good Father. Picture of a Father is, you know, He loves. He, he does teach. He wants us to respond to Him. He does discipline us. He does desire obedience but we can come to him anytime. Now, before we ask God for what we want, Jesus instructs us to share or to make statements about who God is. So he says, hallowed be your name. In Hebrew, to say the name is to say that this is every part of who they are. So when we are to say, like, holy is your name, God, we are saying everything about you is holy. There's nothing that is not. And you are holy. To be holy is to be set apart, to be different, to be blameless. And I think it's possible that we kind of forget, or maybe we like to forget about this key characteristic of God, especially in our culture where we have many little g-gods, even ourselves. It's really unlike our world to name something as set apart. 
And it's really unlike our world to worship one thing. There was another prophet in the Old Testament. His name was Isaiah. And he had an opportunity to encounter God face to face. And so when he encountered him, he saw God for all of who he was. And that was holy. When we see God make an action of, uh, and being who he is, it does draw humans into response. So Isaiah fell down and worshipped. He recognized the holiness of God and immediately recognized that he was not. He was not holy. He was a man of unclean lips. And he also declared that his nation was like that too. It led him to fall at the feet of, of the Lord. And yet he confessed he was forgiven by the Lord in his love and worshipped him. And so Jesus, he calls us to say this statement, holy is your name, and he, in, in a lot of ways, it calls us to response, to fall down and worship, and to respond to the holiness of God and to strive to be holy like he is holy. We'll see a little bit later that Jesus helps us to do that. The second statement is, your kingdom come. It's not so much of a request of saying, Lord, please do this or please do that, but a statement to say that God is king and that he is sovereign and that he can bring his kingdom any way and any time that he will. Because where the kingdom is, is where God is king and where he reigns. And Jesus, he was bringing the kingdom of God everywhere he went when he healed people, the kingdom was near. And if we allow for him to have reign in our life and have him have, be king in our life, his kingdom is near. Does he have reign in your life? And do you really want him to have reign in your life? That's a, a, a question that we have to ask when we say, your kingdom come. Is that something that we're going to respond to, that statement of his kingship? Will we respond to that in our life? I think when Jesus says, you know, this to all of us as the church, we also need to say this as the church, your kingdom come. Because we are in a very polarized world where we might be on one side or the other side politically, we might have opinions about this issue or that issue, we really like to research articles and say, yeah, that makes my point really come across. Or, you know, I like what they said about that and I, I, think I really want my opinion to be made known. But Jesus is giving us a common language as the church to, rather than have our words be articulated and validated, he's saying, as the church, I want you to have a unified goal that my kingdom would come that the Lord's kingdom would come down, not our own. And not that we would spend more time articulating the things that we want to say, but that we would lay that down and say, Father, holy is your name. May your kingdom come. What would that do if our church as a community laid down the words and the, our, own, our own kingdoms? to say, no, we're, we're after the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom that Jesus has brought, that type of kingdom, and we want to see that happen as the church for our world. Not picking sides here. We are aligning with who God is and what he's doing. 
Next, we have requests. And I really love this prayer because it's kind of half and half, right? Like we, we have an orientation of who God is and then, then Jesus does. He recognizes that we are human and we have needs. I really appreciate that because we are so human. <laughs> so he asks us to say, give us each day our daily bread. Scholars say that this request is, is literally a request for what we need to eat for today. And it's important for us to make note that the Lord will provide for your needs today. And in our culture where we could plan ahead and we can, you know, gather much for, you know, our meals for today and save and invest and um, maybe hoard, or maybe we have anxieties about what we don't have, Jesus is saying we can ask for our need for today and trust that our Lord wants to provide that for us. So it reminds us that he cares for us. He wants for us to not worry about what's ahead and for us not to hoard in excess, but to ask for our needs for today. He will meet those needs. For past and future sins, he says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. I don't think we like to talk about sin very much. Um, we don't really like to acknowledge that we are sinners. Sinners, when I sing that song, songs that say, like, I'm a sinner, it's like, ooh, <laughs> no. <laughs> and as a girl who struggles with vulnerability, it's, it's a lot for, for us to read this and say, every day, ask for forgiveness. You know, forgive us our sins, that we might forgive everyone who sins against us. It's a lot to look at yourself and to say, where am I in the wrong today? I mean, there are other ways that we can look at sin, and it might be helpful for us to identify it in our life, but, you know, sin will create barriers in your life that keep you from being honest. It'll keep you from being honest with your friends about what's really going on, or your spouse, or with the church, and with God. And I know it, it, it has reflected in this story that I've shared as my grade seven self that um, I've allowed some of that pain to, I'm, I've been tempted into doing a few things that create barriers between me and God. And I was looking at an, uh, a podcast, or no, a TED Talk this week by Brene Brown. So Brene Brown is a research professor, and she's known for her work on shame and vulnerability. Um, and she has a very infamous TED Talk from like 2010. So I watched it this week. And she actually had three important statements about things that we do when we try to get around shame and fear in our life and these barriers that come up. And I thought, you know, that's actually, it's pretty profound when it comes to how in the everyday when we don't like to see like sin or we don't always see it, um, maybe some, some things that we're tempted to do to get around the barriers that sin has caused in our life. So I wanna outline those today. She says, um, instead of dealing with shame and fear, we're often tempted to do the following. So first, we might be tempted to numb our pain. I can't feel the pain of what happened here, of what I did or what happened to me. So I'm gonna drink the beer, I'm gonna eat the banana bread, I'm gonna watch that TV over and over, I'm gonna binge it till it's 12.30. I'm gonna 
drink the beer, have the banana bread, watch the TV. The thing is, is when we numb things, when we numb the pain, we're also, you can't really isolate it. You're going to numb the joy of life. You're going to numb the gratitude. You're going to numb the connection, friendships, community. Number two is we try to perfect ourselves. And I know in my life, with some of the pain that I've had with my body image and eating and that kind of stuff, I've tried really hard to perfect myself. It's like so much easier to say, like, don't focus on my weaknesses, focus on my strengths. Yeah. <laughs> Social media can do such a good job of that too, where you can present a great side of yourself. Um, and it's and that's what the world sees. And there's so many self-help books out there. Like, the world is very clear about saying, like, you should try to perfect yourselves. Like, that's their goal. They want for us to be, like, the goal of society is that we would be set apart and different and perfect. But in the Lord's Prayer here, we've already been reminded that, that we are creations of God, who He is our Father who says what we are, and He is holy and blameless and perfect, and He is the one that wants to have kingship in our life. And so when we try and perfect ourselves, it's, it's taking the place of God and saying, like, I think I can do this myself. Number three is that we pretend we're okay. I think you know what I'm talking about. I mean, we've all been on the sidewalk seeing somebody on the, on, in the community, save on. You say, hey, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. Good. Okay. Have a great day. Okay. It's so common. Like, it's so easy for us to just write off the everyday. And it just isn't, it's like our common language. I'm good. You're good. But are we really good? That would be my question. I think we, we let things become normal. And, you know, Brene Brown, she made a comment in her TED Talk where she said that we are the most in debt, the most overweight, and the most medicated in North American history. And I'm not saying this to judge, but I'm just saying it's, it's a pattern of, like what, our, like, what our culture looks like these days. And we, we are... We are lonely people, you know, and we are people that get angry and, and conflict happens and we don't always respond in the way we think we should. And we're scared and, and we're afraid that people won't love us if we show them who we are. And we are so human, we're tempted, we're tempted by, you know, vices and we're tempted to pretend that we're okay. And, we numb the feelings away. And that's human. It is human to be that way. The thing is, is that in this prayer, Jesus is telling us to acknowledge these things, that we are tempted. He's telling us that we can say this to God. We can come with our honest, authentic selves and bring our humanness to him. Wow. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> that's beautiful. That that is the common language Jesus wants for our community to have. 
a recognition of who God is and say, you're human, I know, and I want to change you. I want to do something in your humanness. In Psalm 51, David was a king of Israel, of like our, you know, church history. He was a king, and he sinned, and he had adultery in his life, and he murdered somebody, and he comes to God, and he's repentant. He is giving his struggling, authentic self, as scary as it is, and he's saying, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And our Father loves us. You know, we we can come to Him in who we are. We can confess our sins to Him, and we can confess the sins of others, (laughs) of like the pain that's happened in our life, because our loving Father is able to forgive them. So I want to remind you that there doesn't doesn't have to be shame in in coming and asking for forgiveness from our sins and, and saying, I need to be led away from temptation because that's what God does is he, he wants to forgive us. He wants to see us transformed. He wants us to be open and honest and, and say, ugh, I'm so human. He's like, yeah, I know. And I want to change. I want to see you and I want to change you. You know, Jesus says, lead us not into temptation. And I just want to touch on this really quick. It's, it's, it's important to know how Jesus sees temptation. He, he wanted for us to try really hard to avoid it because he knows our humanness. Um, commenter David Garland, he writes that Jesus seems to have a humble admission that we are vulnerable people. We're likely to succumb to any temptation, so Jesus does not teach us to pray for strength to hurdle all difficulties that might arise, but to avoid them altogether. And, you know, we see some critical moments right before Jesus is arrested and when he is crucified. Um, There's some critical moments when it comes to, you know, human temptation and trials. He had a a follower named Peter, and they were at the Last Supper um, sharing in, like, the bread and wine, and Peter... Jesus predicts that Peter is going to be imprisoned and that he will face death. And Peter's like, I will go to prison and death for you, Jesus. But just shortly after, he's in the garden. Jesus is in the garden with all his disciples, and he says to them twice, pray that you will be not led into trial, into temptation, because he knows the humanity of these people. And we see later that Peter does deny Jesus three times. Jesus, later, he also acknowledges the struggle of of life. He himself um, comes to the Lord and he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. That's, yeah, if you're willing, take this cup from me. The honest humanity of Christ. Then he says, yet not my will, but yours be done trusting the Father's will in his way. It's so human to struggle. And, you know, Jesus, he prayed this prayer, and he lived out this prayer. And his life and his death and his resurrection are met in this prayer. If you look at it, you know, you see that, like, Christ himself, he met with the Father, 
And, and yet the Father, he gave him all authority in heaven and earth to bring his, the kingdom through Jesus and his works. And Jesus would, would be the bread of life that nourishes us, that sustains us, especially as he died and rose again. And we're going to partake in communion later and, and experience that together as a community. He forgives our sins and he's walked the road of trial with us and, and overcome it. Romans 5, 6 encourages us and says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That is so transformative, that we can come to a loving father, that, that he knows our needs, but he wants to, to change us. When we come to the Father, we can connect with his life-changing power. He wants for us to come to him vulnerably, be seen for who we are, to be forgiven and loved and chosen. I want to encourage you today that, you know, we have, we're encouraged to come to the Father but the question is, is like, will we come? Will we actually come to him in prayer? And will we be willing to be changed by him when we are seen for who we are? If you are afraid to come to the Father, if you've been hurt and you're longing for connection, the Father is ready to listen to you. And if you are worried anxious about what is to come. The Father is king over all of it. If you are overspent and behind on rent and you need a home, the Father wants to provide for your needs. If you're wondering if God could do anything with your story, he is a loving, forgiving Father of what we've done and left undone. So we can come to the Father. You know, we, he, he's encouraging us to do that. The reality of that is, you know, this is a prayer that's for us, but it's for our community. And so it's going to take some help. I think we all know that you know, we can say the prayer and, and, you know, think the right thoughts, but more often than not, it's going to take a community to get us there. And, and Jesus knew that. He gave us this prayer so that we could all say it together. And... Imagine if you knew that the person in the row beside you was praying this prayer as well. If we all had a common language as the church, that we all would be oriented under who God is and say, he is holy. We are going to be people that fall and respond to his holiness and desire holiness. We're going to be people that say, I want him to be king. I'm going to drop all these other little kings and gods in my life and say, you are the true king. Imagine if we were a people that, as a whole, we weren't anxious about our needs being met. We were confident that God was going to provide, and then in response, we actually gave the bread that our neighbor needs for today. If we rented our suite at a lower cost, we lent our car out, if we serve in the, in the city and in the church, 
Imagine if we were a people that were vulnerable and you know, actually said, I am struggling and I am tempted and I messed up. And the person beside you was like, yeah, me too. You don't sit in that though, because when, if you pray this prayer together as a group, then you're saying, okay, how do we respond? What, has, what is Jesus offering us to us? Where can we stand in forgiveness? Where do, does he need to be holy and, and king in our life? Imagine if we all had this common prayer, how that would change us as a community, how it would change our world to have a transformed, forgiven, honest, vulnerable, human people. How would, how would that affect how the world is healed by our, our Savior, our loving King Jesus? You know, as I think about my past hurts, how I used to think about God, um, fearful of rejection, I do come to this prayer today with fresh eyes, and I want to think about God the way that Jesus did. I want to be reminded of who he is, and I want to bring my seventh grade hurts to him and be transformed, and I know it's going to take more praying of this prayer, and it's going to take some counseling, and, but I know that God loves me, and he is sovereign and holy, and he welcomes me to come in my humanness to him, and he's inviting you to come in your humanness to him. But the invitation is the beautiful part of it, and how he will hold you and, and meet you in your humanness and, and want to shape you. Those that come to the Father have the ability to connect with his life-changing power. And so the question is, do you want to come? And when you're seen by him for who you really are, are you willing to be changed by him? He is here to receive us. He is here to minister to us. And we get the opportunity to have this prayer together as a community. And we also have the opportunity you know, to, to have our sisters and brothers in Christ hold us up in, in this prayer. And today is Communion Sunday, and we were able to partake in, in who Christ is as, as a God that is man and God and has gone the depths you know, into trial and temptation and struggle and, and experienced it for us and has forgiven us. And we have victory in him. And so we're going to take communion together as the church. We have a common language and we have a common meal that we get to share together as a church. And together we're expressing the story and this beautiful truth that, that we are a, a people in need of a loving Savior. We need him and he will respond to us and he will meet our needs. And he is holy and he is king. So we're going to take communion together. And so I want you to grab the bread and the cup. If you have not received communion elements and you are a follower of Jesus, um, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you a, a cup. So if you would like to receive communion today, just um, raise your hand. One of our ushers will come by. So I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, um, where the Apostle Paul, he 
is, is writing about the Lord's Supper here. So, in verse 23, For I received what the, from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the cup. We're going to stand in worship together and in response. Um, we simply can come to the Father, seeing who He is as we are. And you are invited to come. And you are invited to be ministered to by the Lord and to be changed by Him. And so I want to invite you to come if you feel that the Lord wants to minister to you today and minister to your little grade seven self or whatever it is, whatever's going on, the barriers in your life that you feel like maybe sin is encroaching, come to the Father and fall in his loving arms and his holy sovereign arms. We're going to have a prayer at the front. We have elders from our church that want to pray for you in the front and also in our prayer room at the back. So don't miss this opportunity to meet with the Lord in our church community. We love you. The Lord loves you. Lord, teach us.